Yo, welcome to another episode of Invite the Neighbors. This is Brian Porter, for the first time, your co-host. Um, this is the first episode where I was joined by my new co-host, Benny Moraba. Um, Benny's in the band Boyfrenders. Um, Boyfrenders, well, Benny's been on the podcast before, and I recently reached out on Twitter looking for a co-host. And long story short, Benny was down, and I, I like what um, Benny could bring to the table. So I'm really excited. Um, for this, I think the podcast is gonna is gonna grow quicker than it has before. I think we're gonna get better guests. I think it's gonna be a better show overall. I think you know Benny brings a perspective and experience that I lack. Um, I just think overall it's just gonna be a um, just a more entertaining product for you guys. So I'm really excited about that. Um, this episode was with Austin from Shortly. Uh, Great expectations. He's a, a record producer at Eureka Records in Wyandotte, Michigan. Um, Austin's been on the podcast before with his band Great Expectations um, talking about their uh, most recent record and this episode we talked we talked about music um, the bands he's in a little bit but we talked more heavily about just being a producer and um, his perspective on that and you know where he's coming from as a producer his experience recording different records um, you know how he's changed as a producer um, you know got into some technical things like gear um, you know, tips for someone starting out producing or just someone doing home recordings. You know, it, we kind of went over the place. We introduced some characters. Um, I wouldn't recommend. I just just skip over those parts. Uh, I tried out some characters that you know we're working on. Benny has got some characters too up his sleeve. So there's gonna be a lot more characters on the podcast. Basically, you'll know what I'm talking about if you stick through the whole episode. But um, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to support the podcast, go to. Invite the well, patreon.com slash invite the neighbors. Anything you can pledge is valued and appreciated. And um, hopefully, you guys enjoy the episode. Uh, Whoa, the that was yeah, that was crazy. Yep, literally every episode of the quarantine starts the same exact way. If you've been listening to all these episodes, then you know it always starts with a guest talking about how cool it sounds when the Discord bot starts recording. Now recording. Well, I, I, yeah. in my defense, I didn't say it was cool. I said it was crazy. I think he's oh, well, insane. You know, <laughs> that's true. Okay, that's fair. He's a monster. It's, it's it's. You should see. I wish you could see the uh, the avatar for it because it's like a blank faced cartoon bear. I don't know if it shows up I, on your yeah, end. I can, I can see it. I can see it. This, oh, okay. this, this depraved animal it telling like me some, that recording has now begun. It looks like some Five Nights at Freddy shit. Yeah, I mean, I I've I've grown um, fond of Craig. Uh, I think you know he's a valuable asset. Although the last episode I did with Craig, my audio and one of the guest audio cut out about fifty minutes into the podcast. So I'm just hoping that no one listened more than forty five minutes into the last episode. Anyways, um, <laughs> Craig looks like you may be out of work soon. I know, dude, and that's that's the thing. I don't know where I'm going to find another recording bear, or if there's any other animals in the Discord <laughs> kingdom that can record. But I think uh, giraffes are way better at that stuff. Yeah, if anyone, if either of you guys, or like any anyone in listener land knows of any other knows of any giraffes, um, I mean, hanging that, out on Discord, cat doing what's what's that Jeffrey what's cat doing now that uh, Toys R Us is fucking gone? You know. Uh, I hope, I hope he paid attention in bone. computer class because <laughs> he is completely digital. Does Toys R Us have a website, or are they just gone? I, I'm pretty I feel sure like they, they went just... belly up like way before all this. 
Yeah, I mm. thought someone bought them, but I don't think that anything has like happened since. I remember reading something about that. Oh, um, well, I bet you Jeffrey's probably just working at an Amazon fulfillment plant now. Just like all the toys that he would have sold, now he's just putting them in boxes with smiley faces on them. <laughs> Jeffrey the giraffe just went back to college to take STEM courses. <laughs> Damn. Well, uh, apparently Toys R Us is still kicking. I'm looking this up right now. It's still going strong. Uh, fuck. Could really? Me. Yeah, apparently it's still a, a solvent company. Uh, whatever that okay. means. It, it's a gone solvent. bankrupt in a few other countries. A solvent company. <laughs> so, like, if you put salt in the company, it will dissolve. I don't. I don't yeah, know. yeah, basically, yeah, it'll. Yeah, that's what it means. Okay. Yeah, you can dissolve yeah. whatever. I mean, it can be salt, it can be sugar. I mean, what what other what other substances do you want in there? That is so, how that works. So we are firing on all cylinders. Uh, for those of you listening, um, we're here with Austin from so many things which one do you want me to say first i'll let you say what you're doing so that you can let people know what your priority list is of the things that you're involved in oh wow that's wow uh okay <laughs> i'm just, I'm just messing with you. all right cool no 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 no. you know it's like it's like picking your favorite child they're, you know just be honest there you you have to have one right yeah <laughs> No, so my my name is Austin Stowozik. I am a recording engineer. I'm a musician uh, from Southeast Michigan. I've played in bands. Uh, I've made records, and I still do both of those things uh, as the guitarist in Shortly, as the bassist in Great Expectations, as the bassist in Seaholm. Those uh, are the bands I'm currently in right now, and uh, I've done fill-in work for other groups and stuff. I won't I won't get into all that that nonsense. But right now, I'd say probably the highest priority project I have since you did ask me to pick one is uh, my latest venture as a uh, studio engineer at Eureka Records, which is a uh, recording studio that I founded with my friends Daniel Sasadney and Tyler Floyd in Wyandotte, Michigan. And I will say I've... uh, Well, first of all, before I forget, uh, Benny... Is Marawa? Did, am I pronouncing that right, Benny? Um, it's pronounced Marava. The W sounds like a V, but I've accepted both at this point. <laughs> well, we're gonna do it right. I never knew that, Benny. Well, Benny Marava with a V with, with a W, <laughs> um, is joining ITN as a co-host. Um, Benny has been on the podcast before for the band Boyfrienders. Um, and I'm super excited. Yeah, have you, you know, join the fam, and then I will say on the other note, I've been to Austin's studio. I've I'm making a record, kind of splitting time between Nick Diener's studio and um, working with Tyler between Tyler's house and Eureka Records, and it's a really solid spot. Um, it's great sounding room in there, so I would strongly recommend anyone looking to make a record for a reasonable rate with. You know, like the the high quality to pricing ratio to hit up either Austin or Tyler and go, you know, there when the world reopens type thing. Yeah, I love I love recording at Eureka Records. My old band, Hearts of Palm, is currently recording there right now. Well, was recording before the quarantine and everything. And it's just it's a really very nice creative environment like it's probably the best studio experience that i've had in like my entire life honestly that's 
that's setting the bar high. I wasn't going to go that far. I was just going to say, Shit, you know, I'm, I'm I will sweating. absolutely go that <laughs> no. far. I'm sweating, guys. This is <laughs> you're you're putting me up on this pedestal here. I'm I'm going to be knocked down a few pegs for sure. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you're, you're, well, your praise means a lot, and I I really I really appreciate that because um you know it took me a super long time to get on board with the idea that we could even have the studio in the first place. Uh, and I will remind you, we have a third partner. His name's Daniel Sasadney. He is the bassist in Alchemists. Uh, I, I don't know if that band is still oh like, around or or not anymore. They they've been pretty silent for a few years. But when Great Expectations was starting out, they were our 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 comrades in arms on in the scene and so forth. They they used to run shows at that uh, Matkin House venue, and uh, yeah, had many many great times with them. Uh, so and just... and Dan does fantastic work too. I mean, he has a, a nine to five, unlike me and and Tyler who do this full time. But uh, but yeah, no, his his work is amazing too, and he is actually responsible for bringing both me and Tyler into uh, Eureka. Because really? if it wasn't for him convincing me, I wouldn't have convinced Tyler. So it was this whole thing, you know. Um, I was actually living in uh, in Madison Heights, around like Ferndale, Royal Oak area. I had a nine to five. I was working for a company called Vintage King Audio. They're a pro audio retailer. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, like if you if you buy like outboard gear and microphones and stuff, they're like one of the higher end options to go to. So I I had a pretty comfortable setup with them, um, but uh, after about a year of working there, you know, the corporate life wasn't really for me. I was like, man, fuck it, I'm gonna be, I'm on tour, I'm gonna be a musician, man. I'm gonna <laughs> really do it for real, man. Uh, yeah. and it, and you know, after about a, nine months of doing that, it wasn't wasn't really working out all that well. Uh, wasn't doing so hot, and Dan had been messaging me for months and months and months, uh, every few weeks or so. Hey, Austin, I just found this really cool practice spot in Wyandotte. Uh, not sure if you want to check it out or not. Could be a cool thing. And I'm thinking, I have a basement. I don't. I don't need this. I don't need a practice space. And it turns out he was just vastly underselling it because, like, he dragged me kicking and screaming into this place. <laughs> which which is in Wyandotte, which is a city that, you know, I, I grew up kind of like next door to downriver for a so super long born. time. That's where you were born? Yeah, I was actually born in Wyandotte. Really? Yeah, wow. fun fact. Small world. Small yeah. world. Actually, another Wait, so small you... world point is um, you mentioned Alchemist. So uh, Charlie, who used to play an Alchemist as mm-hmm. a guitar player, he joined in a daydream, my band, as a acoustic guitar player. So we both kind of have, yeah, so we're both like kind of connected in that way. Holy crap, that's great. I love Charlie. That's crazy. Charlie's great. Yep, Charlie is is an old, 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 old friend of mine. And uh, I think he's still doing music right now in a project called Glass Piece. Yep, and they're actually, um, Charlie's house, he moved to somewhere in Detroit, and I think they're redoing... um, bringing back Mackin house at that place. I think, you know, he, he's revived it a number of times. I actually went to a house that he lived in, in Taylor that was supposed to be like Mackin house junior. And it was a show. <laughs> it was, it was, it was like an acoustic show with him and with brevity and with, uh, uh, Jack M. Seneff, who is my, my big baby boy, Jack, if you ever listen to this, I, I love you, Bubba. <laughs> tag him up, tag him up. So, <laughs> I find it oh, hilarious. 
Oh, sorry. I find it hilarious how all of the like the different permutations of the Matkin house are just like every place that he's moved to, he's brought the Matkin house back, but just kept the name, but slightly differently. I think right now it's Matkin house plus, but like the plus is a little plus sign. Dope. That's, <laughs> that's the way you do it. That's the way you do it. I, this is maybe not to derail the conversation, but I think consistency is incredibly important in, in yes. art. And to end in uh, community organizing too, which I honestly think building a house venue and supporting a community around that is is one aspect of that. Um, you you kind of have to build off of something that came before that was also successful. Mackin House was in, an incredibly successful DIY venue and a good place to go to get fucked up for sure. Um, but right. uh, you know, him continuing it, I I I love it. I mean. Who's to say what's really going to happen in the next couple of months for any shows, really? But right once we're in any position to get back into house shows and venue shows, I would love to. I'd love to go to his new spot. I didn't even know that he'd moved again. Yep, because um, I had Benny, not Benny. You're Benny, Benny. Um, <laughs> I had Charlie and um, Chris from from Brevity come on the podcast and you know we were talking at that point uh charlie was still in his house in taylor but he was looking to move and he found this spot in detroit wasn't sure at first like if his new roommates were going to be cool with him having house shows um and this was like during this just this winter and slowly you know um he introduced the idea and i think they did their the roommates ended up being cool with it and i think they did the glass piece they um and brevity they just did a tour like a short run out to new york and back and I think they either did like the kickoff or the return show at Mackin House Plus. And, you know, I know Charlie's looking to do more in the future. I don't know how much, like I wouldn't say like hit Charlie up if you're looking for a show or anything like that. But I think, you know, the plan is to kind of slowly work it up and, and, and just like, you know, see what kind of, see how much you can handle with his schedule. You know, the same, the same way most DIY venues work. It just depends on like, the schedules of the people living there. Like how often do you want to open up your house to strangers? You know what I mean? But yeah, it is, Mm -hmm. it is cool. Well, the main question I have for him is, do you want to make a record? Yeah. That's the question (laughs) I have for most people now at this point, Uh, even before the pandemic too, I I shifted my focus a lot from, uh, from performing to uh, being, being a producer, being an engineer. So a lot of the stuff that I'm doing at, at Eureka Records is like a top, that's kind of what I'm throwing about ninety percent of my efforts into right now. Yeah, that you know, I hear you on that, and it's it sucks because as someone like I was so close to finishing the record that I'm working on, and I basically only have like two like it's a five song record, and I only have to do vocals for two more songs, and right before I finished was when the quarantine hit and now I'm just waiting. So like if, if all I had to do was like mix and master, I could be using all this time, but I'm just curious, like what has been the workload like as a producer? Are you getting more bands that need things mixed and mastered right now? Or are you getting, is, is it just kind of like a downtime or have you been able to stay consistent? I'm kind of curious like what the workload has been like. No, I mean, for okay, so for new work coming in, uh, not very much, aside from uh, just quick plug for Benny's uh, latest project. Uh, Boyfrienders reached out to me to do a single for them called Hand in Heartland, and that's a track that has been released for a couple of days now. It's like some kind of, it, it's it's uh, benefiting like COVID-19 relief kind of stuff. So I, I pumped that one out 
as quickly as I could because, you know, of the, the timing and for the cause, you know. Um, so that's really the only new project that I've had to work on. Everything else is kind of catching up from the incredibly busy first few months of the year that I had. Uh, I was working on a record with my friend Andrew Solway. He's putting out a five-track EP, and we're polishing that one up right now to be released very soon. Uh, I'm working with uh, Follyball, which is a band kind yeah. of split between Kalamazoo and, and Nashville. Uh, Kevin Rice, who runs uh, The Greenhouse, a, a DIY venue out in Kalamazoo, he's the mastermind behind that. They recorded with me in February. Eight songs. Those are not 100% fully recorded yet, but they're 80 to 85%. And I'll, I'll be mixing those just so that when we do open the studio back up, whether that's May or June or, or whenever, we'll just be ready to go. We just layer in the final vocals on top and other guitar part here and there. And yeah. We're, and we're good. Business as usual. Uh, and then I'm, I've also been working on. Um, combing through some of the archives of Great Expectations stuff, because Brandon writes a lot of songs, and we demo a lot of ideas, but there's a lot of cut material, and not necessarily bad cut material, just material that's like, I'd rather work on this song than that song. And so I want to compile some of that together and maybe do a, a figures of speech, like B-Sides collection. That's, that's kind of my pet project. Oh, that'd be cool. I remember yeah, I mean, the you... album... Oh, it, the album just took so long to to come together. We went through so many iterations of ideas that, like, you could probably fill another album with the ideas that got dropped. Yeah. So I was going to say, I remember the last time we talked on the podcast, um, we, we kind of talked about you know the the process for you working, you know, producing something that you're actually a part of, and how that compared to you know working on something that wasn't your own project and you know it seemed like a lot of work went into it because not that a lot of work wouldn't go into someone else's project but just in general a lot of work went into you know having a lot of pride in your in something that you're a part of and i'm curious mm -hmm. like now that you mentioned you know doing like a b-sides considering and compared to, compared to like the amount of work and maybe pressure you put on yourself to put out something that you're proud of for the actual record how do you think that compares to how you view doing b-sides are you maybe a little bit more lackadaisical with that like less tied like less perfectionist or is it the same level of attention to detail i'm just curious like how does it how does it differ if if, if at all it differs a lot actually and it's not just because it's a b-sides collection next to a record uh, it differs because it's a record that I'm making now as opposed to a record that I made years ago. Um, and it has everything to do with the way that my philosophy around production and engineering has has evolved over time. I think my biggest criticism of myself and something I'm always trying to push past is this ten tendency to be too precious about things. Mm. It's a huge, 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 huge hindrance to to the creative process to be very tied to an idea something that i've i've had to get used to in being in the bands that i'm in whether it's great expectations or shortly or any other project is that ideas all need to have their time in the spotlight but then you have to objectively determine if it's a good thing or not and right. uh, something that i've never usually backed down from in the past when the stakes weren't real was, was like i have this cool idea let's do this cool idea it may be fine that you have a cool idea but can you back it up that it 
supports the song, the structure of the song, pacing of the song, the lyrics of the song. Um, and I would say that um, I, I would extend those criticisms to Great Expectations' as, uh, latest album, Figures of Speech. I think there were a lot of ideas that we had that based on how long it took to put together, we were like, this is the best we've got at this point in time. Let's put it out. I'm not saying it's a bad record. I enjoy listening to it. It's actually kind of rare for me to enjoy things that I've, I've produced and, uh, and put out <laughs> and, written, and written. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're, you're, you're living with it for so long. Um, yeah. But there are definitely moments where I was like, you know what? If we had just thought about how this part functioned a little bit more, or if maybe if I had swallowed my pride and realized the ride symbol doesn't need to be the most important part of this drum beat, you know, it would have sounded different. It could have been a little more tasteful, but like hindsight's always twenty twenty in those situations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so getting back to what you were saying, though, uh, my perspective on recording and production has has been changing. It's always changing. It's always changing. I'm always learning new things, and I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't treat a B sides collection like it's ah just farted out like it's nothing. But I also <laughs> wouldn't get too like caught up in the the like extreme minutiae of it because what you're always trying to get to a place of when you're producing anything you want to get to the heart of what the main idea of this song is what what is trying to be conveyed and communicated and then when you can figure that out your decision making process is actually pretty streamlined if you know what kind of song you're trying to make you can make appropriate production decisions that support the type of song it's supposed to be instead of shoehorning a bunch of ideas that may be really interesting on their own, but don't function there quite well, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. That kind of makes me think of, so I've mentioned this before a couple times. I have a really weird like um, approach to making my own record in that, I, a lot of bands, and I think this is, a, and I'm not knocking this way at all. It's the most efficient way, and it's probably the most tried and true way. But like, you know, you get everything ready so that when you're in the studio, you know, you're there for a week or a couple of weeks and you just knock it out and you're done. But for me, it's like I will go and I'll spend two days in a studio and then I won't come back for like a month and I'll just listen to what I have. And well, and it's partially due to the way I write songs. Like, I write one guitar part, vocal part, and then I have the drummer write the drums and then everything else gets written in the studio. But I think spending a lot of time in between each session helps. It it gives me time away from the songs to really let them kind of grow organically and you know, put a lot of time into the choices that I'm yeah. going to make the next session. And I'm curious, if, how do you feel about the whole like the most common way of recording like just getting it all done in kind of one week or two weeks do you feel like that ever does that ever feel rushed did you ever feel like you know this record is good but it could be even better if we got to just maybe take a month off and then come back it's all situational and i know that that's a really like that may seem like a cop-out kind of answer but it really is all situational you there's something that i always try to to figure out when i'm working with a new artist or, or even if i'm you know in my own project and we're figuring out how to record what kind of project is it how does this band operate you know right there are some right. people whose personality types are very like organized and efficient 
They go in, they know how long they need to be in there, they have a list of what they need to accomplish, and they get out. That's amazing. That's actually how Follyball has made this latest record with me. Yeah. I, I mean, I, when anyone, I don't care if you're in DIY punk or if you're, you know, an established artist or industry plant, what, 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 whatever might have you. I'm throwing <laughs> that word out plant. there. Just, <laughs> no, you're, you're making oh, a, a new Father John Misty record or something. I don't care what, what it is. <laughs> um, you have to consider the temperament of the, the people involved. Are they that organized? Are they, you know, are, are they making lists of what they need to get done? How, how do you envision the process going? And so when Kevin approached me and told me that he had this master plan of getting in and getting out in three days, and he had a, a spreadsheet of things he wanted to accomplish, I was like, all right, buddy, show me it, and I'll believe you. And he showed me it, and it was incredibly <laughs> well thought out. And I agreed with every single thing that he said. In fact, every conversation that I have with an artist beforehand gives me insight into that, into their personality and into you know, how they might be best comfortable working. And every conversation I'd have on the phone with Kevin, he would just be like very articulate, very to the point, very like, you know, yeah. um, I enjoy hanging out with you, but let's get down to brass tacks here. Here's what I want to do on day one, day two, day three. And I, I've learned to not put my foot in my mouth and to not suggest a way to work. If, if, if someone comes to me and tells me, Austin, here's how I want to make a record and it makes sense and it's a sensible plan, who am I to say, nah, we're going to do it my way? I mean, right, like, obviously right. they want to yeah. do it their way because it is what they want and it's comfortable for them. Now, if I have a suggestion, if, if there's something that's impractical, um, you know, I, I might raise an objection to it. But like for, for me, Volleyball wanted to make a record in three days. Plenty of bands have made records in three days. Plenty of bands have made records in two days. Uh, Strange yeah. Magic made a record in one day, one afternoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like you can do that. You'd also just have to take into consideration what kind of project. Is it a sloppy punk record? Is it this kind of like rock record that like and, and are these guys um do they have the endurance to be hitting it that hard for 14 hours a day? Cause you can spread out uh making a record over a month or over three years, like Great Expectations did. But you have to <laughs> also think about do these people have the patience for that? Can they do that? Are they able to keep their eyes on the prize long enough? Right. Put into something coherent at the end of it. And sometimes they do. And then also there's the practical consideration, money, right? So you're going to a studio. Right. right. Do you how much money do you have to spend? Can you spend enough money to get three days in the studio? Do you have enough money for a month in the studio? And this is where you have to start being kind of pragmatic too. Because yeah. if you don't have enough money for a week in the studio, you don't have the luxury of coming in not prepared. You you have to be able to do it in less than a week, which means you have to do the rehearsing, which means you have to do the writing, which means you know things have to be a little bit more baked going in. Not say that that's a better or a worse way to do it. It's just different. And some yeah. types of albums, like you know ambient records or like post rock albums, things that are more deliberate and like need to be built up very carefully, they could probably benefit from a, a longer amount of time to record. And something I've noticed too, is that based on my experience with recording with you when it comes to the Hearts of Palm record is like, I've seen that in person, like the way that we've been recording it, which is just like, okay, each studio day, we're going to come in work for 12 hours, but we're going to focus on one song each day and making it the best that it can be. I feel like 
to be honest, that's a really much more proactive way, in my opinion, of going about it because it gives you time to focus on the songs themselves instead of coming in, knocking out a bunch of tracks and then leaving. And if that's the way that you want to do it, then that's obviously completely fine. But it's like, I don't know. I kind of really like that attention to detail. I kind of really like how you go about like taking command of the situation when it needs to be in that regard. Yeah, I you think. On, ooh, sorry, oh, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, man. No, I, I, you touched on something really, really important there, Ben. I, I think, um, in my mind, and this is probably where I'll, I'll start to make statements that just kind of assert what I believe about recording and, and production. Again, it's just my philosophy does not reflect everyone's. Every different strategy works at some point, and it, every different strategy is kind of valid to a point. Um, but I, I've kind of found that my sweet spot is that a song a day is the pace you want to shoot for. And it's the pace that you want to budget for with a little bit of like extra padding, you know, kind of to account for maybe we need an extra day here or there to figure something else out. But usually the human attention span is strong enough to focus on one centralized kind of goal for one day. And I think the Hearts of Palm project is kind of a testament to that. We come in in the morning around like 10, 11. What's the song we want to do today, guys? Is this song? Okay. Well, let's start with the drums and let's take it all the way down. And then by the very end of the day, we're, we're cutting the last vocals. We're cutting the little pedal steel little ornaments on it. Like all the extra little percussion shaker things. Um, it, it's very satisfying to go from morning to midnight and realize that you actually have a finished product at the end of it. No more of this, ah, let's just do all the drums for all these songs and go home, think about it for another week, come back and, and then go crazy thinking about the guitars. Because it, you know, it kind of spices up the day. You have different variety of things. Drums in the morning, you got guitars yeah. in the afternoon. And then you, know, then you can kind of like stop periodically to think like, okay, well, is this drum and bass part working? Do we have to revise something? Do we have to omit a chorus here do we have to take this chord change to a different place you know i don't know it, it just it feels like it's its own kind of self-contained episode instead of working on an assembly line yeah and just putting together you know eight songs at once i think like that's that's an important note and you kind of made me realize that um right after you started answering the question i asked like you kind of made me realize when you said it is situational and a lot of it is based on your personality because i never even really thought of it that way but that totally is my personality to kind of do everything almost backwards and like all over the place and not really have a big plan but like that's almost how i write in general like it, it just comes together that way like the the chaos of that is almost reflected in the music and i think it just so just so happened that like you know financially i wasn't able to you know finance everything up front so because of that situation i kind of serendipitously realized that a couple days every month or couple months was actually a better way for me to make a record, even though I didn't plan for that. Um, it just so happened to work out because, like I said, I write songs in like these little chunks, and I don't have really any help writing the song. So it's time away from myself sometimes is almost like working with a different musician. Like, as I write differently at different points of time, you know? So, like, and Benny, you might be able to relate to this. I'm going to kind of 
kind of curious and I'll ask you a question about this too, but like, all right. When you, when you're like the, your own, when you're the a soul songwriter, I think sometimes, you know, if you're writing like a record or even a song in, in like one sitting, it could, maybe it could benefit from writing a certain part, taking a step back, give it some time and then come back and write more. Because for me, it feels like it, it gets closer to having like a variety of influences because it'll be based on what I'm listening to at a given time rather than me writing it all at once. And it only be, you know, based around the influences of what I was listening to or what I was feeling in that time. And long way of asking a question, but Benny, I'm curious, you know, I've kind of just like laid out my prog process as much as I possibly could. But when you get into the studio, like, I guess what's, what's your approach or have you found one approach that tends to work for you better than others? Um, when I go into the studio, see, the times that I've gone into the studio have been in the bands where it's more of a collaborative effort. So ah. like for the hearts of palm situation, it was like, okay, we're just working on these songs one by one and putting together the record as we go along instead of just being like, okay, this is the record. This is how we're going to record it. That's it. I feel like that's, especially with that group of boys, I feel like that's the most organic way that it can come about. I guess when it comes to, maybe I can expand the question to more just recording in general. Um, because I've worked, because Austin did the mixing and mastering for Scenes of Brooklyn and all that stuff. The thing that I kind of regret in a way with Scenes of Brooklyn was the fact that it was kind of just my influence on the songwriting itself like the mixing and mastering that all came out perfect because of how great austin is at both of those things but there were points where i listened to the record where i kind of wish that like my pride in songwriting by myself made me bring in those outside influences to kind of like look in and be like well mm -hmm. maybe you don't need this part or maybe you don't need that part like the song that austin was probably the most hands-on on the record was in regards to the song and with mixing and mastering was honestly probably brighton beach and because of that i feel like that song is far and away the strongest on that record so i kind of honestly just really like that process of like as a songwriter who mostly writes all of the parts by myself, I honestly really, really like the experience of kind of like having that collaboration with the producer. Of course, you're going to need one that vibes with you for lack of a better term, but like working yeah, with yeah. Austin, like I've never had a negative experience with him. Like every idea that he's brought to the table has been always like perfect hand in heartland. That wouldn't be half the song it is without his influence. Well, now I'm just running strategies on how I can break this streak, man. <laughs> what, can, what can I do to upset everyone? Um, but, but I mean, but I, I wanted to actually expand on a point that, that you've just made, Benny, um, is that, um, and wow, I totally lost my train of thought on this. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Because um, there you go. Okay. Okay. I'm going to try to synthesize Benny's point, Brian's point. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So a lot of these creative projects, we like to think of them in kind of abstract floaty terms, like album's done when it's done. It's just this thing that's just going to come out of nowhere, man. And it's going to coalesce and everything's right. going to be great. All my influences are going to be there. I think you have to, um, part of engaging with the process of production and recording is the acknowledgement that you can only take an idea so far. 
you know, a song is never really finished, just kind yeah. of left at this la- the most ideal state that we think we can get it to, right? If we all had infinite time to make a project exactly how we wanted, I'm sure a lot of us would take uh, that offer up because it's very, it's very tempting to get the 100% purest distillation of what you were imagining to come out. But every time that you use a microphone, every time that you mix anything, any time that you, you know, collaborate with anybody, it's a compromise. It's a compromise of your original idea. And so the trick uh, is kind of in embracing this compromise and realizing that the finished product is not going to be exactly what you wanted it to be, but it's going to be extremely close. And there are probably going to be some ideas that other people come up with and contribute to it that are just as valuable as yours. Um, and exactly. so I, I agree with Benny in some way that writing an album on your own can be very frustrating because you have no sounding board to bounce off of until it's all assembled and ready for someone to mix. And then depending on how hands-on your producer is and if you vibe together, if the ideas that you both have about music are compatible, you know, maybe that person can edit and pare down some things and sort of suggest new places to go, which, which I did in some cases uh, on Scenes of Brooklyn and in Hand in Heartland. Um, but if you don't vibe with somebody, if I'm someone coming in off the street that you don't know at all, and I'm telling you, listen here, Buster, here's how the bridge has got to go. Right. You probably wouldn't <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I just, it, it's an interesting point you guys bring up, compromise. And it's one that you encounter every single day in the studio. Um, and, and the words that I try to fall back to when I'm, whenever I'm working on a project with somebody is that the end product is their record. It's not my record. It's theirs. So if they agree to a compromise with me, right. it, you know, I'm very lucky that that happens at all because they have every right as the artists just assert what they want and accept no concessions. And there are some producers and engineers like Steve Albini who adhere to that 100%. They don't offer any editorial input to the band. Um, but that's, you know, it's a difference in philosophy and it creates a lot of avenues for freer expression for the artist. They can convey whatever they want, make the record they want, no compromise. Can also hurt some people because sometimes they could use some creative criticism, constructive criticism, whatever you want to call it. And sometimes that jumping off what you just said about how sometimes people need it. Sometimes people also need that in order to figure out where to stop. Because some people it's like, like you were talking about how like you could go on and on and on until the end of time. If you had the resources to, to just keep writing and writing and writing a song. But like, I don't know. I just feel like with some people, it's kind of important to have that outside person or producer to just be like, Hey, this is sounding great. Like, yeah, does that make sense? I don't know. It does. So it my, does. my roommate, my roommate, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, my roommate is in a band called painted friends. So they're a really, really good band. Um, and Jeremy, my roommate is, you know, he writes everything, you know, for, he writes, he uses Ableton, creates his own drums. Like he has a drummer in his band, but you know, he programs everything himself. And I think the biggest thing that he suffers from as a songwriter slash producer is the fact that he doesn't really have many outside influences. Like I've listened to him in the basement recording the same vocal part for like a month and it's like, it's good. You know what I mean? But like, I think if you don't have anybody to tell you that, or if you're too critical of yourself or whatever, 
you know, you can get hung up on something because like, like you said, like you don't know when you're done, you know, sometimes it really helps to have, like, I'm so glad that I have a couple different producers to work with because, you yeah. know, even if I could do the sound engineering and things like that myself, which I can't, like, I'm just, I'm a producer it at heart, you know, I can, I'm producing my record, but like, if I didn't have these other people sound engineering for me who I trusted musically, I have no idea. I would never be done. That's why nothing I've ever done in the past has ever been released because I've never worked with somebody else to like, one, I feel obligated to finish because I am, you know, using up someone else's time. Even if I'm paying them, you know, I feel like he, I don't want this to be a waste of their time, regardless of how much I'm paying them. I want them to feel like when this project is done, they can be proud of it as much as I'm proud of it, or at least have yeah. some sense of pride in it. You know what I mean? So I think that that definitely makes sense. And I've, I've talked to Jeremy about it too. I'm like, dude, this is good. I think you can start the next song. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, I, you know, a lot of people can suffer from that. I mean, it's, it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole of just like perfectionism turning into like procrastination because you're so obsessed with something being perfect that the idea of it being done is almost like so, maybe even subconsciously something you're afraid of because it'll never reach your expectation. And so you subconsciously procrastinate finishing it by doing all these other things and picking at these little details because you don't want to face that moment when you actually release it. And then you're vulnerable because now people have to hear it. No matter how good you think it is, like I think, I mean, I could be talking out of my ass, but I'm speaking at least from my own experience. Like I've, I've done that. So, you know, long story short, I think it is important to have, you know, depending on how you work to have somebody to kind of bounce ideas off of to kind of put up the roadblock where it's needed yeah um mm -hmm. and to kind of switch and, switch gears a little bit oh go ahead if you had a oh uh, and and you need more importantly you need to trust those people around you too like if it, like it, you can have someone offering you criticism all day and they may be voices from within your own band they might be people in your circle of friends but if you if you don't you know, have that level of, of trust where you can accept what they're saying with no ego, then that, that also uh, can be counterproductive too. Like if you just take a criticism as, ah, this person just isn't going to get the record. So, you know, that's one more reason to just obsess over this detail and one more reason to postpone releasing it. You know, I think a lot of what you said, Brian, I could even apply to myself as I prepared uh, the, the last Great Expectations album. And this is how far a lot of my thinking has come from then to opening the studio where, okay, now you are running a business off of this proposition of finishing creative products and, and getting them done. You know, the way that I had thought about doing my own music was so counterproductive and it was so against the way that I would work if I was working with a person that's not me. So we all kind of have to do a little bit of soul searching and kind of get rid of that little part of our ego that you know, maybe is, is afraid of vulnerability or afraid of, of being put on the spot for yeah. decisions we've made. Yeah. And we just got to get it out and, and get it done. Um, a lot of, a lot of creative people, myself included, but all the other creative people I've met, we hold ourselves to these double standards. We would never, ever, ever dream of, you know, faulting another person for a decision they made on their album. We might not agree with it, but like, Right. Who am I to who am I to like attack somebody for like the way that they recorded their guitars or their drums or whatever? But then when it's myself, 
I'm like always listening too critically and be like, oh, this part sucks or this part's not good and we should have done this instead of that. It's just so counterproductive. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, you cut off for just a second, so I wasn't sure if you're done. <laughs> but, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> no, yeah. Makes makes sense. Um, so to switch gears a little bit, I have uh, in front of me some questions that I asked you back in October of 2019, back oh, when fuck. we were originally planning on doing an episode and then schedules got in the way, but now we're here and I found them. Um, oh, here we go. And some of the... Yeah, some of the questions that I... Th- that I asked, I'm like, why did I ask that question? And some of them, I'm like, oh, I still want to know. Um, okay. But two of two of them um, in particular. So the first one is, what did your first recording setup consist of? And how do you kind of compare that to what you use now? And what... So basically, we're going like past, present, future. Like, what was the first setup that you had? What are you kind of favoring now? And what would you really... F- need in order to be like completely content if you're not already as far as like setup okay Okay. um let's go to the past my very first recording setup was a i think it was like a gateway pc with a uh tabletop like uh computer microphone that i plugged right into the sound card in the back that was my very first recording rig like if you want me to be pedantic cool. about it, that's 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 exactly what I started <laughs> recording everything on, and I, it actually had never occurred to me that you could use other microphones and that there was any other way to record digitally than that. I I hadn't really thought it through. I was just excited to make music, and I was using this like bootleg, like Cakewalk software that kind of looked like it was written for like Windows ninety eight. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know that stuff. One track yeah. at a time, and like. I, I only found after years of using it that I could do plugins with it and that I could also record more than one track. And, you know, that was that was kind of the the beginning of me jumping down the rabbit hole of recording because once I started questioning, well, wait, why am I only using this microphone? Wait, is this the best way to record anything? Um, wait a minute. Is it possible to have more than one track? Wait a minute. If it's possible for me to do more than one track, I mean, can I can I edit it somehow? Can I make it start at a different point? Can I loop things? Like, how does that work? You know, and so every question I'd have would just give me answers that led to more questions, and that just led me to uh, invest in getting a Mac a couple of years after that, and start seriously recording with like an Apogee Duet, which was like, I think they're still around. It's like a two-channel interface, really fancy and marketed toward Mac users and all that kind of stuff. So that was yeah. a, a serious recording rig that I used for a very, very, very long time. Um, anyone who's interested in getting started recording, I'd recommend one of those. Um, or maybe a Scarlet 2i2. They're That's a what cheaper. I use right now. I, I would say they're like, here. <laughs> they're like the standard like workhorse interfaces. And we actually use a Focusrite 18i20 in uh, Eureka Records. So their, their preamps hold up professionally. Yeah. I would say that that is a very, very good entry level uh, recording rig, the 2i2. Um, and then, so after the duet, I kind of kept it for a super long time and just as a home recording thing. And I used a Scarlet for a while after that. But right now I'm on that twin. I'm on that Apollo twin kind of train. I think it's probably one of the best, like, high end consumer interfaces to use because you, uh, you can use it. 
you know, chained to other like rack mounted interfaces that they make. And it can kind of be your monitor control. You can kind of expand from two inputs to eight or 16. Um, it has a lot of like potential for you to get more mileage out of it as you grow as a producer and engineer, as you need more input. At the studio, though, we'll use Scarlet's. Um, t- to me, just thinking about, you know, the way that different interfaces sound, it's, it's kind, of, kind of counterproductive. Just pick one and get comfortable with it, figure out what its strengths are, figure out what its weaknesses are. And ultimately, if you don't have a good room to record in, you're screwed anyway. So yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's sometimes not worth splitting hairs over. Yeah, but is the Focusrite preamp better than the UA preamp? It's like you're asking the wrong question. It's kind of like asking, yeah. like, is this microphone better than that microphone? Maybe the question should be, is this singer better for this microphone or not? You know, you have to start your line of questioning closer to the person that's actually making the sound yeah. to get a, a yeah to get any kind of like real substantive answer. Um, but okay, that's, yeah, that's I sort of derailed the conversation for a sec. <laughs> You're good, um, but no, it's it's cool. It's cool. I'm like I'm two beers deep, and uh, it's it's not a pretty situation here in quarantine land. Two beers deep, uh, I get a little loopy. Dude, I'm clawed up. I'm white clawed, so don't worry. <sighs> God, dude, Brian, I don't think I've told you this, but, uh, so during quarantine, Austin, myself, my roommate and our friend Alex, now we have this tradition where we'll just like, well, I don't drink, but they'll all like get drunk and then we'll watch like really bad Christian movies. (laughs) And it's so sick. We watched the entire God's Not Dead trilogy, which ruled. It's just I've never even I've never well actually I have heard of that vaguely, but that sounds like it, I just watched The Room the other day for like the tenth time, which I've I've never been like a huge oh. The Room guy, but I my girlfriend had never seen it, and so I you know happily indulged a couple couple of white claws in, and that God what a what a glorious occasion. If if you're just real quick sidebar, if you are a fan of The Room, and you have never seen the DVD bonus interview that came with the DVD. YouTube that shit. It's six minutes and completely, completely worth it. It's hilarious. Oh it's shit! The, I have the DVD. the DVD extras interview. I didn't even know that that existed. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. It's so funny. But um, yeah. Anyway, Austin, like, did you get to the? I think yeah, you've kind of mentioned like what you're working with now. But is there anything that like you feel like you? don't have or maybe it's just a better room or yeah like what, oh, what do you look no, at no 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 no, no. I, actually i feel like with with eureka records we have possibly one of the best rooms that i've ever had a chance to record in uh in terms of like it being useful for a lot of rock records and pop records th- like multi-purpose you know obviously if you yeah. want to do a classical album you find a cathedral and you you get you get cooking with that but um it, it is one of the best rooms i i've ever recorded in hands down uh and I'm, I'm not even saying that because i rent it and it's my space like i wouldn't be renting it if i didn't believe that um but but yeah um in terms of what i think i would would need for later um this might surprise you i, th- I think i need like good baffling i think i need good like acoustic treatment for the mix room um and what i mean by baffle if you or, or a listener isn't 
like aware of what it is. A baffle is kind of like a uh, some type of kind of construct. It's like a almost like a wooden box you you might build with some fabric insulation on the sides, and you set it up in between two different sound sources, and it kind of blocks the the bleed. You know, I feel like that's probably something that we could use in the studio to kind of make live sessions a little bit smoother. Maybe not have the yeah. cymbals bleeding into the vocal mics, all that kind of stuff. I'd say in terms of recording equipment, we've got a pretty good deal going at the studio. Because between the plugins that me, Tyler, and Dan have, and the few microphones that we do have, I, I think we can actually get a lot of uh, really good work done. So I, I consider us very lucky in, in that sense. Yeah. I think Benny and I can probably both attest to how good that room actually is. And oh. that question wasn't to say like, oh, that room is lacking. I was just, you know, I know you've probably been to some pretty cool studios, like, you know, just with your experience in different bands. And Oh, for sure. It's it's actually nice to hear because I've not been in very many studios. I've been to Eureka Records and I've been to Wonder Studios, which is Nick Diener's awesome fucking basement in Chessening, Michigan, which don't let the term basement fool you because it is dope like it's awesome um mid if anyone's out in mid michigan or looking to make a record hit up nick because that that place rocks um but yeah i think i think that kind of covers that question um and the second one and this is kind of like selfishly i kind of would like to know this as i you know get close to finishing my first record um I've been wondering about different masters, you know, because I'd like to press on vinyl, but then also yeah, I want to be obviously put out a digital format because most people listen to music on like Spotify or iTunes nowadays. Um, and would you recommend that bands do two masters for that? Is that like a, just a, a pretty much standard to do two masters? And what are the, uh, what are the differences between like the digital master and the vinyl master? Oh, the mastering question is a little bit out of my range of expertise. I'm I'm not much of a mastering engineer. I I typically would just master for digital formats, uh, and I've mastered for CD too, which I mean they're they're slightly different. Um, but but yeah, basically, you uh, my rule of thumb is that uh, however many mediums that you're trying to release on, digital versus vinyl versus a CD, wax cylinder, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you'd want to consider different mastering processes for all those um because and this is just in the case of vinyl but because of the physics of a way uh, the way that that um a record is even played it does kind of need certain frequencies and phase relationships to be different from just a digital recording that doesn't need a physical like needle riding in a groove for instance if you have way too much bass specifically bass in the sides of the recordings you can cause the needle to jump the groove and you don't want that. You want to you want to put out a quality product that can be played very comfortably on anyone's uh, turntable. And you have to kind of take into consideration that some people are going to have really high-fi setups. Some people are going to be using Crosleys. So can't necessarily assume that uh, if it doesn't work on a low-end consumer format or playback method, you're good. You you need to be able to make it playable on on everything. Um, yeah, but that being said, not much of a mastering engineer. I mean, I, I can, I can make it sound good. I can optimize it for a certain release, but I I would, I wouldn't necessarily say that, that that's something that I've, I've encountered. I've I've never mastered anything for vinyl. Uh, I think that would be a super cool challenge. Uh, no, I would love to, I'd absolutely love to, but I, I think I would need to brush up a lot on what that involves. 
I gotcha. Maybe to maybe to salvage the question, like you know, just in your own, maybe to take away from the the vinyl end of things, but just like mastering in general, or or just just producing, getting something to sound good. What do you think is like the hardest? Like if say for people at home, you know, doing home recordings, maybe they can't produce in a they can't afford studio time or whatever have you. For whatever reason, they're limited just to to their own like bedroom studio setup. Do you think that like there's like a budget set of speakers like a uh, like a good benchmark to you know to determine like is it the iphone headphones that you want to make sure it sounds good on or is it maybe your car stereo like what what should people like try to use as a reference point because for me when i just doing my own home recordings like i'll try to make sure it sounds good through basic headphones what i would think people would be listening to normally and then i'll take it into the car and i'm just curious if anything comes to mind when i ask that question yeah, all those are, are great ideas. And it, go, it comes back to something I just said before with vinyl. Um, some people are going to have hi-fi stereo systems and, and whatever you mix and master, it's going to be replicated 100% faithfully. But some people are going to have those Crosley like suitcase record players that you know have the tiny speakers and they're not going to sound right. super hi-fi. So you know, obviously you can't make something sound 100% perfect on every single playback system, but you can get really damn close. And that's kind of what I mean. Like, like listen to your mixes and masters in your car, listen to them on headphones or AirPods, um, listen to them on high grade speakers by all means. And, and use that to be your decision-making process for like, I need to balance treble a little bit differently here. We need some multiband compression kind of in the mid range. You want a good set of speakers so you can accurately hear those things but you also want to make sure that they translate on someone's set of like KRK rockets or, you know, like their PreSonus speakers, you know, like, yeah, um, you, you want to make sure that, that it's, it's still getting through because you can have the coolest sounding mix in the world. Um, but if it's music that's meant to be bumped in the car and I can't bump it in the car, you've kind of defeated the point. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you guys hear me? I feel like I can hear you. Yes. Can hear okay. You. Okay. Some it just cut off for a second. Benny, I don't know if you have any questions, dude. Uh, if you do, I kind of got a little bathroom. Uh, so Benny, maybe this could be your first run at just hosting the podcast for a few minutes. This will be my first if you're test. Cool yeah, okay. but but for for real, I trust you. I'll be right back. <laughs> the stakes are high. Okay, so Austin, I'm actually going to ask you a few questions, maybe get away from the uh maybe get away from the topic of recording as the producer and maybe I'll ask oh, you some questions God. about recording as a musician. So honestly, given what we just talked about with like how organic it is to like kind of record song by song rather than just like kind of bust everything out even though for some people that obviously works what do you feel would be your absolute most ideal way to record a record all right this is a great question and it's one that i uh i would have been able to actually see if it held up this past month because i was supposed to be making a record with jack seniff yeah and obviously quarantine we're, we're shut down we can't do that but in my mind um, you want to kind of figure out how many songs are in this project. And, and that's a question that could be answered beforehand if the person you're working with 
has a lot of finished material. In this case, Jack did. I think he has 12 songs. So I'm like, let's do 12 days in the studio. Perhaps with a couple of days beforehand to rehearse. Yeah. Because he wants to put a band together. Okay, you put a band together, get them all in the room for two days. We're going to hammer out these 12 songs. And I've heard all the demos beforehand. I know the structure and everything. So I've kind of got a game plan in my head of how we're going to approach recording them. As I said before, my my ideal pace is a song a day. And if you're working with particularly diligent musicians, you can very easily do that because the excitement yeah. of getting things done is actually going to be momentum that carries you forward and kind of gives you this adrenaline. Um, yeah, like kind of that momentum of like, instead of just like, for example, like a full band being in the studio and you spend one day just recording drums, like at the end of the day, you're just like, oh, we have these drum tracks to listen back to. Uh-huh. But I feel like there's a bit more like this adrenaline rush that you're talking about when it's like each day you're working towards a completely collaborative end goal instead of yes. just working on one aspect per day at a time. Yes, yes. It, it is a psychological game as much as it is, you know, this prescriptive engineering thing, you know? Absolutely. Like, like logically speaking, I get it. You know, if you're going to use one drum sound, okay, bust out eight drum tracks. That's perfectly valid. But I try to find ways of working with an artist that take away the um, any any hint of drudgery in the process because you want to make sure that people feel like they're having fun and that they're engaged and that what they're contributing really matters as yeah. much as possible. Because let's face it, no one likes being trapped in a room with even five of their... Okay, their I'm back. For a super long time. Welcome back, Brian. Hey, so how do you do? Uh, you know what? He's, I, Brian, we, we've kind of talked a little bit while you were in the bathroom and listen, it's nothing personal. We just think that maybe, <laughs> maybe this, maybe it's better maybe with, we, with one host from now on. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you guys, maybe I don't, I'm not needed anymore. I feel like is the vibe I'm getting. I'm just thinking, uh, we, we thought about it and I don't think you were invited, uh, really. You're, you're a neighbor that wasn't invited to the, the conversation. Oh. Hey, guys, you're listening as long to as we're on name the, puns. You're listening to Invite the Neighbors podcast with your sole host, Benny. I'm here with my special guest today, Brian <laughs> from the Daydream. <laughs> How does it feel to be officially kicked off your own podcast? <laughs> um, good. The pressure's off. I mean, a lot of weight off my shoulders. I just want what's best for the podcast. And if that means me not being a part of it then you know say la vie you know it's yeah take one for the is. team you know yeah you know even if that means you know i i don't get to go to bat that's that's fine that's fine man yeah that's Can all good. My now, let me take a, now let me take a moment to talk about squarespace <laughs> I was just gonna say I I recently changed all my underwear drawer to me undies because I'm really looking for that partnership and I will say micromodal fabric worth it, it lives up to the hype I will say that a hundred hundred percent lives up to the hype mm. Mm. Oh. but hope I didn't hey, actually just derail any actual oh. conversation oh, no, no, no. oh we what's that sound about. whoa what's that sound is it me it's me eating wow I'm eating this. <laughs> Beautiful vegan butter chicken recipe given to me by Blue Apron. Blue. No, we were yes, just kind of. Right. Blue Apron allows you to cook all the <laughs> recipes you were too lazy to cook before quarantine, but in quarantine, and they taste extremely bland. 
Mm, there's just awesome. no flavor. See, <sighs> if Blue Apron came with a chef, an actual chef, I would I'd consider paying for it. But, you know, I don't have that kind of money. I work for the state government, so I uh it's lucky enough to not be furloughed and blah blah blah, but and that doesn't mean I'm part of the system, people. Don't don't at me yeah. saying, you know, you fucking chill, you know. I don't listen. Hear I that. need I need pictures of you at the Capitol building protesting, or or else I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna really reconsider my 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 opinion of you, dude. Speaking of that, I I came up with an idea that because uh, I was looking at photos of the 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 protests and a lot of people, you know, an odd choice, but people just saying I need a haircut on their picket, which is the weirdest <laughs> protest. Like if you were to look back, like say at when 2020 started and someone from the future just showed you like, Hey, there's going to be a protest. We're not going to tell you why, but this is what the picket signs are going to say. I need a haircut. One that would blow your mind. But two, I thought that just based on demographically, just like looking at who it is that's holding these picket signs. I think that like we could just quarantine all the people who need a haircut inside of lady Jane's. And that would pretty much solve the issue because it's mostly people that just need a haircut and would probably go to like a hair mechanics or Lady Jane. So I think that kind of solves that problem. And um, Governor Whitmer, you know, I'll be taking calls if, if anyone <laughs> wants more tips. I just but, after I don't know. after all this and especially after those Lansing protests, I never want to hear like because you look at the demographics in of the people in that protest and it's all like old people but like the kind of old people who would probably call who probably like legitimately call people like liberal snowflakes and man after seeing yeah. them on after the, seeing them on the news crying about not being able to buy lawn fertilizer or not being able to go get a haircut or about how Jesus isn't on or Santa isn't on the Starbucks cup anymore like I never want to hear any of them <laughs> say anything to any young person ever again after all of this it's just yeah, so funny seeing that disparity. I'm with you. I'm with you on it. You know, I mean, not to get too political, because I always I try not to get like overly political, but I think mean, some things are just common sense. Like yeah. watching a uh, recent Mark Marin comedy special, and he was just like bashing Trump. And he's like, I, "I'm not getting political. This is strictly observational." And that I love that quote because it's like there's some things that are just so blatantly stupid that it's not political. It's just common sense observations and i think that's one of those things that apply like the, yeah. the more you stay home the less people get the thing and then the less people die from getting the thing so don't do stupid stuff like you know it's just <laughs> that's not a political statement that's just like common sense but that's about as far but as my I'm rights going. brian what about my rights <laughs> yeah the, the 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 really difficult thing about all of this is that like I mean, it, it is a political thing, what's going on right now. Unfortunately, this, this whole virus situation yeah. is a political thing. And so on the one hand, you have these like right-wing astroturfing kind of nut jobs protesting a stay-at-home order that's like against public health and common sense. They're politicizing it. Astroturfing nut jobs. That's well, awesome. I mean, like, <laughs> well, because like, I have trouble believing that any of these people who are at the Capitol building are protesting it because they're a worker that like wants to work their shitty job again. I mean, I imagine that a lot of these people are like just pissed because they're small business owners 
who you know don't have any recourse to force their employees to come into work anymore. That's kind of the vibe yeah. I'm getting. And I'm not saying it's like a big conspiracy or whatever, but like, you know, those people are are out there too. And then of course you have the other people on the right, maybe they're more religious fundamentalists who are like, they took Easter from us. And I know a few of those people. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> I just it's wild. It's wild. I just love feeling that there's no one is telling you you can't love Jesus and celebrate (laughs) Easter, dude. But I just love thinking that there's just a small contingency of these people that are just like haircut enthusiasts. Yeah, there is that possibility (laughs) too. Got my haircut. I like getting my haircut. I was gonna try an undercut for the first time with a bit of color on top, and now I can't. I, how am I? I need a fresh cut before deer season. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I need a fresh fade before I get out my blind. I, oh man, see, get, just, that seems to be. You guess your hair makes it hard for a deer to tell you. <laughs> well, you got a pretty good accent. I like that. Oh, thank you. It's, been, it's gone through a lot of practicing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think like we're getting at the point where there, we've had a solid over an hour of content and uh, you know, we're kind of getting off the rails. Not that I have any issue with getting off the rails. I like getting off the rails. Um, but I did want to maybe ask, we talked a lot about music stuff and God, what a segue as a host. You know what I mean? That's why I, I host. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Podcast. Wait, a, wait, 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 wait to really whip Just, this one back around. <laughs> that's why you I, got I pulled your it up by its bootstraps, if you will. Yep. Yep. Honorary from um, Washtenaw Community College, honorary doctorate. But um, I don't even—you can't even get it. That was the stupidest thing I've said on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> we talked a lot about the production side of things, mm-hmm. um, and you know, you talked about like kind of what you're doing a little bit musically, doing that B sides thing. Any other musical stuff that you can talk about that's maybe in the works? Yeah, absolutely. Back in February, uh, well, like late January, early February, shortly recorded uh, an LP. So that's being worked on right now by our engineer producer, Joe Reinhardt. And we've had some back and forth with him, been giving him some feedback as to how to take the tracks we recorded back in February to another level. We just got the latest round. I think this is revision four of the album back and it's really coming together. Like it's a really cool thing when you can hear the ideas that you laid plans for um, at the original sessions, like finally sounding the way that you thought they were going to sound in your head. And Austin, I just want to let you know in regards to that also that my email inbox is open and prepared for that while we're on this topic. You mean, oh, in, nice. terms, you mean in terms of, of leaking the, the album? No. When did I say that? You're oh, just assuming. I don't know. <laughs> kind of sounds like what it was, was implying to me. Uh, I mean, hmm, ah, yeah, I'll just ignore it. I'll just... I'll just ignore Don't flatter it. yourself, honey. No one wants to hear your record. <laughs> well, that's another no thing too. Is like I, no one I, cares about your band. Look, if I can, I don't know if where I can I'm get, going with this. If I can get serious and appeal to that character you just invented, um, I, I think <laughs> yep. a lot of a lot of what I do kind of comes from this place of I'm not assuming that anyone wants to hear what I'm working on. I'm I'm not really assuming that anyone cares, especially at a time like right now. There. are a million and a half things that people should be focusing on more than Austin's record or Austin's band. Or, I mean, the, the fact that we even think about other people at all in this time is actually, um, it's, it's an act of, of generosity in and of itself. Cause there's just so many, 
you know, basic level survival things that are going on with, with people's individual lives. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, like any, any kind of plug I make for something that I'm in, I mean, I just support it because I do it and I like it. And I, I don't, I don't mean to tell people that, oh, it's so important that you should drop everything you're doing and check it out. I mean, I fuck with it and it's cool, but, um, you kind of have to, drop your ego and realize that you're not the most important thing and your music's not the most important thing in order to make that space for people to come in on their own and enjoy it and appreciate it. So I really do sincerely think once the record's out, there are going to be people who have kept up with what Shortly's been doing and they listen to this one and they'll see that it's a direct continuation off of what we've been doing and be like, it's fucking awesome. I, I, I dig it. There may be some people who have just never been into it and th- that's fine too. Same thing with any other band that I'm in. Um, right, you know, it's all uh, it's it's all it's all good. I mean, I'm I'm in this game because I just like creating it and giving it yeah. life out in the world. I am curious about the the shortly stuff because one, I will tell you, I'd love to have you know if you guys ever want to do an episode about the new record, if you want to talk about it once it's out and you can talk about it, by all means, hit me up. Um, but I'm curious because. I'm curious. I'm wondering how if the songwriting has changed overall because I'm not sure when shortly first originated if it was just Alex that was writing or uh, you know as you've become more and more successful has the songwriting process changed at all for you guys has it become maybe more collaborative or do I am I just kind of like misunderstanding and it was always collaborative or just how has it changed you know in the past uh, few years, if, no, if anything. I think, I think you picked up on, on the fact that it's changed. I mean, with the fact that we've had a full band as opposed to just Alex and just me and Alex in the past couple of years, uh, that dynamic's changed a lot. Uh, I would say now with this newest record, um, the structure of the songs is pretty much all Alex. I mean, Alex creates the, the structure of the song and kind of the, the chord changes, the chord progressions, and then we get together as a unit and we decide how each going to contribute to that structure and kind of build it up into something. So, you know, Chris has a lot of, you know, independent input on what he wants the drums to be. And I have a lot of independent uh, ability to determine what I want my guitar parts to be. So I think it's, it has become a lot more collaborative. That's good. I feel like that is the hallmark of, for me, like, you know, I, I try to hold myself to the standard, but I think that's like a maturity factor within a musician is like, are you able to adjust on the fly based on like what is going to be best for the song rather than like your own ego? You know what I mean? Yep. Serving the song. That's a conversation we had a lot in the studio. Um, because there were a lot of situations where we were throwing ideas kind of at the wall, seeing what stuck and having a moderating voice in the room, like, like Joe, our producer. To be like, yeah. you know, that part is sick, but like, mm, you could hold off and you could lay out until there later in the song to do it. Or maybe there's a different song that this idea works better on. Like realizing that everyone is coming at this because they, uh, with their ideas, because they sincerely think that their idea will improve the song. It may not always work, but we can take something that Austin said for track two and we can repurpose it for 10. Maybe that's the moment where this has to happen. You know, um, so yeah, in, in that sense, it, it's it's become very collaborative and very um, open ended 
it, it it's probably the most loosely structured uh, project that I'm a part of right now. And I, I would have to say that the looseness is one of its strengths because we're not married to one idea mm. sounding a certain way. You know, sometimes we've we've workshopped songs for months that are like moody guitar-driven ballads, and then we just have to crumple it all up, throw it in the trash, and start over with it being a piano song because we just were hitting a brick wall with moody guitar version of the song. Something that working with Alex yeah. has kind of taught me is that the, a song can exist in a very abstract sense. It doesn't necessarily have to be these specific chords to these lyrics and this instrument with these chords. You know, she will routinely do this thing where she'll take lyrics that she showed me like six months ago, give it a completely different melody, give it a completely different set of chords. It's a different song, but the lyrical content and the themes are the same and it works better. You know, it's a completely different way of making music than I've done in the past. Typically, I'm, I am very methodical about it. I try to build it up very purposefully from the, the ground up. And maybe yeah, that, that's actually... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I think my method works for me and I think her method works for her. But just knowing that there's another way of doing things, very, very illuminating, especially as I grow the studio and I grow my chops as a producer and engineer. It, it's that aspect of coming to trust the way that someone else does things that ultimately makes your job easier, makes your life easier and gives you a lot more variety. You know, um, a lot of times uh, engineers that start out and producers that start out, they may have a specific way of doing things that works for them and they try to impose that on the people they work with. Well, that only breeds uh, resentment and uh, kind of leads to a lackluster experience. I'd rather not tell someone how to do everything and maybe be challenged a little bit and maybe learn from them instead, um, it, even if it puts me out of my comfort zone. No, I, I, I totally get that. And I think that kind of reminded me of something that I was saying on maybe a couple episodes ago. Um, not that this is a universal truth about songwriting, but I think... Um, a hallmark of a good song a lot of the times is it can be translated among different formats or different styles or like different arrangements you know like is the core of the song like if you got a solid core of a song then you can change the arrangement up you can you know maybe change the even the 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 key things like that and you can still have something solid, like it's something it's it's permeable. And I think that maybe somebody just starting out writing songs, not that I'm like the authority on, you know, songwriting or anything, but I think that would be like a good tip and something if, you know, I would have liked to have heard when I just first got my start was, you know, when you're writing a song, look at it and think, would this work if it was just acoustic? Would this work if it was piano? You know what I mean? And I think if the answer is no, that 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 doesn't necessarily mean that you know, you got to scrap it. You know, I mean, if you're writing death metal, you might not necessarily need to worry about like, does it work for piano? But, you know, just in general, I think if that answer is no, maybe that's something to look at. Make the core of the song stronger before you start like adding a bunch of, you know, layers to it. That makes sense. But, uh, yeah, I'd say that's that's a yeah. fair point. But then it's also it's also this super subjective thing, too. You know, sometimes people just know that the song they wrote is like 
lonesome cowboy nylon string guitar, like Father John Misty thing, and that's what it's going to be. And then sometimes you get the songwriters who are more abstract and they can think of this idea they wrote as one thing or another thing, or maybe it's a dance song, or maybe it's, you know, an, an alt rock song or something. It just, it, again, it kind of gets back to like the temperament of the person and the way that they experience the world and the way that they experience uh, creative expression. It's a, it's a puzzler, honestly. And yeah. uh, I, I, I kind of thought as I did this for more and more years that I would have a better grasp on it. And uh, one of the things that I've realized, which indicates to me that I'm going in the right direction, or at least the most interesting direction with um, my life path and the way that I produce, is that I'm actually encountering more and more diversity in, in different creative people. And I'm encountering a lot more resistance to the ideas that I thought were just 100% correct. You know, every day that I go into work in the studio and I'm challenged in some way, whether it's figuring out the best way to record this thing or that thing, or, um, you know, coming to a disagreement about how to best record these vocals. I mean, I'm always learning things and I'm always surprised at just how many different ways there are to do this thing. Uh, I, I don't think there's ever a moment where you can just stop learning and stop, uh, you know, uh, start resting on your laurels and start assuming that, well, this one way I have of doing things works, just copy paste. You know, it's, it's always very exciting to see when, uh, when that kind of flips on its head. I think right now is actually a good example of being thrown a huge curveball with the way that coronavirus has kind of affected the way that we all interact. You know, the big challenge for me now is how can producing and working with artists and collaborating, how can that extend into this uh, period of social distancing and isolation and quarantine? Crazy. <laughs> right. I don't know if I answered any questions at all with that. <laughs> no, I think, you know, that's the beauty of this podcast. Sometimes it's very stream of consciousness, very just yeah. like, reacting rather than like a lot of times it's just reacting to a statement rather than answering a question, which I love, you know, cause that's kind of way my brain works way more that's anyways. Good. That's good. As long as I'm giving you guys some, some good, good content. Cause I have no idea oh, if anything I've been saying gold. is interesting at all. Pure gold, pure gold. Not to bring back that fucking character. I don't know why. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, oh, boy. I, I, I know, I know her. It, she, she's trash. She's complete trash. <laughs> don't, don't invite it back on the show, okay? And also, Brian, would it kill you to call your mother every once in a while? Okay, she worries. She worries about you. Oh you know man, that. come on, you know man. She worries. These guys doing characters on this show. Oh, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's that. If anything, like I talked to Benny about, you know, maybe jumping on and being a host, and I, the one thing he said was, um, I'm willing to do it, but I don't want to be myself most of the time and i said bring your characters bring me your best you know i trust can, me I've, you got, even... I've got hundreds yeah that's right bring <laughs> all your characters on <laughs> yeah bring them all out i want to hear every single character that you go <laughs> oh well now that you're putting me on the spot oh, you're gonna Benny. have to listen to the, the rest of the episodes because they're coming 
Yeah, for the for the rest of the episodes, I'm not gonna research any of the bands or musicians we're interviewing. I'm just going to research how to develop my characters. Yeah, that's I mean, that's fine, dude. Like I just I don't want to stand <laughs> out. All these other podcasts doing the research, listening to the bands, like fuck yeah, that, dude. Like that? I hey, stay in your lane, those podcasts. Like, fine, yeah. do that. But we're working here, we're making art, okay? Yeah, we're, hey. Hey, see home who? Pat Ray. Who? See who? Pat whom? Whom stray? <laughs> I think the last question I'll ask, and then we'll we'll wrap this up because uh, mm-hmm. Benny, if you have time, I thought uh, we could do a little quick chat about yeah. you know just some ideas, and and then you know I gotta feed my cats and stuff. Um, okay, if they're even still alive. But uh, the last question, and you know this might be the hardest to answer. But I think it's what everybody wants to know. And uh, why Seaholm? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was I was hoping that there'd be like a long pause, but I felt too bad because if if people don't understand, you didn't, you didn't even give you know, that bit its time in the sun. I I know, dude. I know. It's just I love Pat I so much, and I don't. All right. Why Seaholm? Why not? All right. That's why the episode, words. gang. Pat Ray. <laughs> I love Pat Ray. Someone check on Pat Ray, please. Oh, Brian, can I, I tell you ch- a Sea Home story real quick? Oh, absolutely. So, Alex Jean and I went to go see uh, Dogleg at the Loving Touch in Ferndale a few months ago. And Chris I was there. Ah, oh, you got to see Chris Norman with the sample pad? With all the oh, like, wait a minute. samples? No, it wasn't Dogleg. I'm sorry. I, w- I went to the Sea Home. Uh, show Morris where Alex Herman. was playing guitar with uh, with Seaholm. Yeah, that's what uh, it was. Chris Herman had like one of those Roland Octopads, but instead of having like drum sounds programmed on each pad, he just had like a different rap drop and like Eric Andre <laughs> clips on them. So in between every song, you would hear just like Soldier Boy, you, or like he'd hit another that's pad so on and it'd brand. Be, it'd be Eric Andre going, "Time for a pizza ball." It was that's so I, on brand, dude. God. I think my favorite sample was he just put the commercial break jingle, which is he hit the pad and it just went bum 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 bum. It was <laughs> it was honestly one of the that's, funniest things I've ever seen. That's that's so on brand. And like when I had Pat on the podcast a while back, this I had never met Pat really, and we it was a great episode. We just bits back and forth like an hour and a half i'm like oh we're, we're friends now but <laughs> i asked him because i looked at one of on one of the uh social medias sea home is listed as a comedy emo band and i thought having saw sea home live once i was like oh that's actually what they are you know and i asked pat about it and he tried to play it off like it was a joke you know and i'm like pat you need to lean into that dude <laughs> lean, lean like, into the gimmick yeah yeah Dude, Lean into I, the bit. All seriousness, I love Pat so much. He oh, absolutely! Great dude. His, you know, his little button and Bella's. What a cute little name for a house, you know. Um, button and Bella's music box. That you know, who are these? Who is Button? Who is Bella? You know, no one knows. That might not be true. I don't know, so I assume no one does. Um, the cats the that live at the house. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. See, I'm yeah. gonna just pretend I didn't hear that. I was I was using my imagination. I remember they were naming the house and I voted for Blue Snail. And I'm a little upset that 
that the house <laughs> venue wasn't called Blue Snail. Yeah. And I can't Blue fully what? Con- Blue Snail. Oh, Blue Snail. <laughs> Blue Snail. I, it's, I don't, it's, it's weird. We were on tour uh, uh, last, last summer. Great Expectations and Seahome did a tour together. And that's when I officially joined Seahome as the bassist, their placement for the original Seahome, Connor Home. Uh, and that's when yeah. Chris Herman joined too. And it was just me, Chris, Bran, Billy, and Pat in a Ford Flex touring all summer. And we went collectively like insane together. And we had this weird thing <laughs> between the five of us where we would pretend to speak backwards, but we'd think of phrases that when you say them, like you're speaking backwards, they sound like backwards talk, you know? So uh, like, I know like, it's coming. Blue snail. Or like hop hip. We were playing a lot of Pokemon Go. So I'm like, oh, Chris, you caught a hop hip. You caught a torch hip. See, so I would just be doing like crazy shit like that. I mean, like it's it's stuff that when I say it to you right now, um, someone who doesn't know or care about that, I sound like a crazy person. Um, but I I've always appreciated that about Pat and about you know my my bandmates and Great Expectations is that we all can go collectively insane together. And in shortly too, I mean any any band that's together for a super long period of time in close quarters, you got to be comfortable enough with each other's sense of humor. To just go yeah. absolutely batshit crazy. Yeah. Another thing too, we're learning in in quarantine. You know, you got to have those moments where you just go out of your mind with with some people that you you may be stuck with either by circumstance or or just because you're in a van together touring. You you just have to have that that fucking humor. You got to be able to go bit bit with each other and not get tired or, or annoyed. And uh, that's to seriously answer your question: Why see home? Um, my answer isn't just why not. It's it's because like I think Seahome's a rare example of a band that can like actually be funny, like for yeah. real. Yeah. Like like it's and it's not like posturing. It's not pandering to people. It's not like um, let's just let's just decide. Definitely not. Like, like four jokes that everyone thinks are funny and and do them. It's just we just come up with bizarre, outlandish ideas. And Pat's like, fuck it, let's do it. I love that. It's so Do much it live. <laughs> For real. For real. Yeah. Doing it live. Bring the I sample saw, pad. And I know this to be a fact because last time I saw Seaholm, I don't you weren't there, Austin, I don't think. Uh you might have been well, obviously you're doing something else. It was the loving touch. Uh-huh. Um with the uh, I can't remember who else played that freaking oh what is the uh Vina Morris. It was Vina Morris and Seaholm. Um and just to speak to the fact that it's uh, what I love about it, and I know I know the guys personally, so it's like I, you know, I know this to be true. But like you were saying, it's it's not pandering because sometimes the jokes are so inside that like it couldn't possibly be pandering. Like everyone would be looking around, like what? And Pat Ray's just smiling, you know. <laughs> yeah, and also the kind of the the idea is that like oh, you you do any joke that's kind of like insular or like a novelty or something and like not everyone gets it but like they see that you're enjoying it and they see it continue to happen you kind of like set you set the bug in someone's ear they're like oh this is a joke this is a funny joke that maybe if i see it over and over and over again at the different shows you know i'll start to like actually understand what's going on with it that's just i don't know that's just kind of my weird take about it um and then that's it. My brain just melted. I don't know what I was going to say. I don't I know think, what I was going to say. Honestly, 
I think that's a wrap. I think, I think that probably yeah, is a wrap. solid, a solid uh, burst of content. Probably about an hour and a half. And uh, yeah, Austin, real quick, um, I'll let you kind of plug whatever. Like, let people know where they can reach you for the studio or the music or whatever, and then we'll kind of just sign off. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can uh, you can email the studio directly at eureka records mi at gmail.com that's just a general email for me dan and tyler to look through who wants to make a recording with us could be remote work right now mixing and mastering kind of stuff uh now that the studio is actually kind of shut down for michigan's quarantine um but yeah we we check that pretty regularly um also just sending any of us dms on twitter facebook Instagram. I mean, you can find me at Give Me Stein, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and then uh, what I'd also recommend you do is just check out some of the projects that we're involved in. Uh, Tyler's band, Parkway in Columbia. Uh, Dan, yep. as I said, in Alchemists. I'm in Great Expectations. We're going to have some quarantine content available soon. Uh, Shortly's got our new record coming out. Uh, check that out too. Check out all the stuff that we've been up to. Um. Oh, oh God! What? What else? What else? I don't even know. Um. That's. I think that's all I have to plug. Uh, oh, and some of the projects that I'm working on right now that aren't my own. Um. Obviously, we've had a great live session with Dogleg come out over uh, the past couple of weeks. I think Fader is putting those out. Uh, so if you're a fan of Dogleg and you want to see them, just ripping some tunes in my studio. Check those out. Tyler Floyd did an absolutely fan-fucking-tastic job with that. Volleyball's going to have a record coming out soon that I'm mixing and producing. Uh, my friend Andrew Solway's got a five-track EP coming out. Uh, yeah, that's, that's all I can think of. Oh, man. That was a lot. It's good stuff. Uh, good stuff. I, I think that, that kind of covers it, dude. Cool. All right. Well, thank I, you I for having me on. Thanks, thanks, for the, thanks for the conversation. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And like I said, you know, you're welcome back anytime. If there's ever something new to promote or you want to like go long form about something you're working on, just obviously hit one of us up. Um, Absolutely. You know, thanks for listening, everybody. I'll, uh, I'll stop the recording and then we can, you know, kind of whatever. But thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, yeah, thanks guys. to Benny for being on this shit. We got oh, yeah. some cool stuff coming up that we're about to... I say that because I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but I know it's going to be cool. Um, just keep listening and I appreciate uh, everybody who's listened in the past year. Hopefully the next year will be better than the first. Okay. <laughs>